This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, tickling, how it works and the role it plays throughout our lives. Tickling is a neurological form of physical bonding. When someone tickles us, the typical response is to reciprocate. The importance of tickling when Radio Health Journal returns. New safety technology available in cars today offers a glimpse into the future. Hi, I'm Debbie Hersman, president of the National Safety Council, and this is your Safety Minute. The driverless car may still be years away, but many features in new cars can give you a safety edge today. Features like automatic emergency braking and lane departure warning systems can help drivers prevent crashes. But many people don't understand their car's features or how to use them. MyCarDoesWhat.org offers hands-on, objective information about new technology, as well as things that have been in your car for years. But remember, while these safety features can assist the driver, they do not replace your skill and judgment. You are still your car's best safety feature. No more. Drive safer. Visit MyCarDoesWhat.org. Safety Minute is brought to you by the National Safety Council and Toyota. There's one way that's guaranteed to make most people laugh. You'll need a feather, but fingers have been proven to work fine as well. Run them over the bottom of a person's feet, the sides of the torso, or along the side of the neck. Almost instantly, you'll have them doubled over in laughter. It's as effective on a 300-pound bodybuilder as it is on a newborn baby. Dr. David Linden is professor of neuroscience at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and author of Touch, the science of hand, heart, and mind. Tickling is a unique tactile sensation that results typically from light touching of certain areas of the body and can evoke defensive responses and sometimes laughter. Tickling is probably the primal, the original stimulation for laughter. Where laughter being a vocalization that's produced in physical play situations whereby it's a signal that this is play, I'm not attacking you. That's Robert Provine, professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and author of Curious Behavior, Yawning, Laughing, Hiccuping, and Beyond. But what exactly causes the unique sensation of being tickled? Lyndon explains. The tickle sensation is not conveyed by a special class of nerve ending in the skin. It seems to be conveyed by the same nerve endings that convey many other forms of touch. So the tickling sensation appears to result from a pattern of activation of nerve endings, not a unique set of nerve endings that are dedicated to tickling. But even though people like to laugh, a lot of us simply can't stand to be tickled. That shows the two sides of tickling, the laughter and the threat. We distinguish between being touched and touching something. That's an important distinction because you don't defend yourself from the contact of your body if you brush against a tree, a branch, the wall of your house. That's very different than something coming, approaching you and touching you. So we have to make this distinction between self and other, or otherwise we'd be going through life in a chain reaction of false alarms, where you'd be startled by your clothes, 
a breeze blowing on your skin. But the social part of tickling is how most people think of it. Lyndon says tickling is an easy way for parents to get their children to laugh. And they may end up liking you more for it, too. There are particular sets of nerve endings in the skin that are designed to convey a caress, designed to convey affiliative social touch, and they project to particular parts of the brain involved in social cognition. And we know that among young children that this is really crucial for development. As we get older, Proving says the purpose of tickling starts to move into the bedroom. We often think of a tickle as being something that has a definite developmental course whereby children engage in a lot of rough and tumble play and adults don't. But something we forget is that the rough and tumble play and tickle of childhood morphs into sexual foreplay and uh, sexual acts themselves. So tickle doesn't go away in adults. It's simply the arena for its performance changes. But even with that, adults eventually seem to lose most of their interest in tickling. Ticklishness declines with age because all forms of touch decline with age. As we get older, we have kind of peak touch sensation at about age 20. And then about every year after 20, we lose about 1% of our touch nerve endings. And we lose all of them. In other words, we lose the ones for fine touch, for vibration, for texture, for sexual sensation, for pain. We lose all of them together. I found a sharp drop-off in tickling and being tickled in individuals after the age of 40. It's a rather striking decline. And this is probably associated with uh, lowered sexual desire and also decreased social opportunity. Those social opportunities are important. You might not think of it this way, but Proving explains that tickling helps strengthen the bonds between humans, but only if both sides are on board with the tickle. You're not tickled by random people. When's the last time someone came up to you in the street and tickled you? Probably never. We tickle and are tickled by friends, family, lovers, Children, we wouldn't be doing this to other people if we didn't have positive feelings toward them. Tickling is a neurological form of physical bonding. When someone tickles us, the typical response is to reciprocate. It binds people together in a very primitive way. But why are some people so squeamish about tickling? Lyndon admits we don't know. In fact, he says there are very few studies that provide solid conclusions about any aspect of tickling, why some people are more ticklish than others, or why the bottom of the feet are so universally ticklish. There just isn't enough evidence. However, Proving and Lyndon do provide a theory to one key question— what makes us laugh when being tickled? Laughter is a sound that we make. It's innate. You don't have to learn to do it. Individuals in all societies do it, and it develops early in life, between three and four months after birth. But the sound of laughter is really the sound of labored breathing of rough and tumble play, which involves tickle. So in the rough and tumble, the sound of laughter <laughs> is a sign that I'm not attacking you, this is really play. Most people think that it's an innate response because little babies seem to have this response fairly strongly. And it also, when cultural anthropologists go over the world and they ask about this and they do this, it seems to be that most places have a tickling response that is the same. Laughing is an unavoidable response when someone else tickles you, but don't expect to laugh if you try to tickle yourself. Most people, if they go to try to tickle themselves, it fails. 
uh, doesn't feel very ticklish. And this seems to be because the commands that your brain sends to your tickling fingers in order to initiate the tickle are also being sent to a brain region called the cerebellum. And the cerebellum turns that into inhibitory signals that are sent to the part of the brain called the somatosensory cortex that processes the touch sensations. And it seems to damp them down. So when you go to tickle yourself, you're kind of inhibiting your own brain and damping it down, which is why for most people it's very hard to get a strong tickle sensation from self-stimulation. The act of tickling has been around for millennia. It has an evolutionary reason as a defense keeping our bodies safe from invaders like insects crawling on our skin. But now we think of it as a social mechanism for friends, family, and lovers. A simple action with the power to bond us together through the touch of our skin. Our writer-producer this week is Michael Wu. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Medical notes this week. Millions of Americans are using Fitbits and other wearable monitors of physical activity as part of their fitness efforts. But a new study shows that if you're trying to lose weight, those devices don't help. In fact, they may hurt. The study in the Journal of the American Medical Association finds that after two years, people in a weight loss program using wearable devices lost half as much weight as those who didn't use them. It could be that people rely on the devices too much. As many as 80% of pregnant women experience morning sickness, and about half of those suffer from vomiting as well as nausea. Doctors really don't know what purpose it serves, but a new study in the journal JAMA Internal Medicine shows that women who suffer from it may be having a healthier pregnancy than those who don't. Women who recorded feeling morning sickness in a daily diary were 50 to 75% less likely to suffer pregnancy loss than those who had no nausea. And finally, open floor plans are extremely popular, but a new study suggests that they may make people eat too much. The problem? No barriers between you and the food. Researchers compared how people behave in an open kitchen and dining room space versus one with barriers and found that open kitchens invite about 10% more serving trips and an extra 170 calories each time. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.